Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're going to talk about an interesting topic, which is what is the church? Is it a building where Christians gather? Is it a group of people that get together and pray once in a while? Are there different churches, or is there just one church? All right, according to Webster in a Common Language Dictionary, there are about five different ways we use the word church right now, and I'll give you them. It is the building and the architecture. Okay, look at that lovely church over there. Okay, it is the local church congregation, like Lake Tree and Vineyard, or the local Baptist church, or Methodist church. It is a denomination, like the Anglican church, or the Methodist church, or the Baptist church, overall. It is the major church segregation, Protestant or Catholic. A Protestant church, Catholic church. Or it is the world church, the Christian church. Now, Wayne Groom, in his book, uh, where we've been working through the series, he defines it as a community of true believers for all time. One church. The living and the dead. It has facets in the house, city, and regional and world segments that all practice certain key things. And I'd never really thought about what makes a church a church before. So his, his prog- progression in the book was interesting to me. There are certain things that a church does that makes it a church. And so that doesn't make a home group a church or whatever else. And these are some of them. It says, correct Bible teaching does not deviate from the scriptures. Correct baptism and the Lord's Supper sacraments. Just uh, uh, holding the Lord's Supper, doing baptism. They function as a church. In other words, they don't just have their meetings and then... um, send people to another church on Sunday mornings. Okay? So they function as a church as a whole. They pursue purity. They go after a pure life in its people. And they're unified. They're cooperative with other, other churches, other believers around. That's what a church is. But the true church, the true church, the devout followers of Christ is actually that group of people is actually invisible. We don't know who they are. Only God knows them. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 2.19, the Lord knows those that are his. And in 1 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Only God knows exactly who belongs to him and who does not. Only he can see the heart of men. In uh, 1 Samuel 16.7, Samuel is coming along to anoint David king. And he's looking at all of David's brothers in front of him. And Samuel's going, oh, look at that big one over there. He's handsome. He's tall. He said, that must be the one. And And God comes and talks to Samuel. And he says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance but the Lord looks at the heart. God knows who his true church is. God knows every individual. He can look at the heart. Although we see the outside, God looks at the heart. So we can't see the actual size of the church or the true church. Only God knows that. But knowing that we are a part of the worldwide church living today, we should be asking the same question, but in a different manner. 
instead of what is the church, we should be asking, what are we? What are we who, who and what are we supposed to be or supposed to look like? More important, more personally still, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to do? Since I am a part of the church today, what am I supposed to look like? Jesus gives us much direction in this through the scriptures. And I'd like to focus on one key passage out of that that he gives us in Matthew to help break, us, break this down a little further. It's Matthew twenty two thirty seven to 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. As Jesus said, this sums it all up. So let's look at the first part of that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. All your soul and all your mind. How do you do that? It's easy to say, isn't it? How do you do it? What does it look like? We can talk about a life characterized by great habits like prayer, worship, fasting, meditating on God's word. But all of these things without the key ingredient are worth nothing. In John 5.39, Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures or sing or pray or whatever you want to put in there because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. There's one key ingredient, and that is Jesus. A deep desire to pursue the king for who he is. Not for the benefits of that he brings into our lives. Not for the knowledge about him or about life that that brings. If we're doing all those great habits, why are we doing them if it isn't for the king? In today's language, what we need is passion. Passion for a king. It starts with a passion for the one that loves us more than we can even imagine. Listen to David as he expresses his heart for the Lord in Psalm 63, 1 to 8. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. David's whole heart was consumed with God. His whole heart. This is passion. For those that can, do you remember when you pursued the one you're married to now? Do you remember that? You ate. You slept. You worked. You were consumed with that person day and night. This is what it's like to follow the first commandment. Do you have that passion? Do you want that passion? I once heard someone say, the thing I hate the most is a passionless person because they won't stand for anything. 
Will you pursue passion for the king? Pursue the person of Jesus Christ and you'll find the passion that can exist for him. Pursue him through things like prayer and worship and fasting and meditation on his word. Pursue him. Fall in love with him as your first love. He will not disappoint. As we do that, we grow and we change. For we can't look at the face of Jesus and turn away unchanged. He changes us. He doesn't change. He will change us from the inside out. We will find that our life becomes more pure as we do this. Those annoying and destroyant habits that we have been trying to stop, we have been trying to stop, will start to go away because he is involved in our lives. David's prayer in Psalm 139 shows us how to go about this process very simply. Ask God to do it. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. Or in other words, change me, God. If you see something, change me. Change me. Instead of me trying to fix myself again and again and again and again. Everybody here knows what I'm talking about. As we do that, we begin to look more like him and less like us. Praise the Lord. Also, we find that we can live better in unity with others, right? Where it was just not possible before. Those people that we just couldn't get along with every time we, we, um, we were around them, we can live in unity with them as the Spirit grows in us. Jesus' prayer for us in John seventeen twenty to 23 was exactly that. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as, I, as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they, they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world will know through that. This was Jesus' prayer for you and me and for all those believers. He wanted us to be characterized by unity. And David even spoke of the results of that, what happens when that happens. It can be seen by those around. It is a blessing when we live in unity. Let's look at Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is, the, it is if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. There's something wonderful that happens when we live in unity with each other. All right. So looking at the first part of this commandment that we talked about, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Summarizing the first part of this, the church is a group of people through at all ages, past, present, and future that have a passion for the Lord and are growing in purity and unity with others. Okay? That's the first part of what we got. Now for the second part of the scripture in Matthew. Let's look at that. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that before, haven't we? Okay, wow. Sounds easy, doesn't it? 
Again, the question becomes, what do we look like when we do this? Okay? How about these scriptures? I'm going to read to you. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard it, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, good. John fifteen twelve to 14. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. It's an easy one too, isn't it? John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love your enemies. Lay down your life for your friends. Everyone will know that you're my disciples, said Jesus, because you love one another. Easy, isn't it? The church looks or should look different because we love in all circumstances, even when it hurts. So the church, us, has love painted all over it. Now, Jesus gave us a commission on his last words in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. As surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are the church. In this day and age, we are God's instruments to this world. And we are to make disciples driven by passion for a king and a love for all those around us. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that gives us a spirit of power, not of fear, that we can accomplish this easy task of loving this world. This tells us what we're supposed to do, right? We know what we're supposed to do. But more to the point, who are we supposed to be? And here I get to share with you one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I've sat down with my uh, older boys and talked to them about this passage and how they affect, uh, what effect they have on their friends versus the effect their friends have on them. However, today we're going to look at it as the whole church and what the effect we have on the whole church. Luke 5, 12, 13, 12 and 13. It says, while Jesus is in one of the towns, a man came who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face down on the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. The disease of leprosy causes skin sores all over, nerve damage, muscle weakness, and then gets worse over time. Leprosy in biblical times was believed to be highly contagious and transmitted by touch, touching something that had touched the disease or being in close proximity to the disease. Okay, so knowing this, which I'm sure Jesus did, why did Jesus stoop down and touch the man that was like this? Why didn't Jesus get leprosy? Why didn't it phase him or even worry him that this was going to happen. Remember, we live in a generation right now that needs hand sanitizer on every corner, right? Where dirt is no longer clean dirt, and the sun causes skin cancer. <laughs> sun is evil. All right, right now I've got a little demonstration for you. I have four volunteers that I've spoken to already. They're going to come up.
Okay, these nice four volunteers up here are going to help me out with this. This has no basis for character whatsoever. They are helping me out with a demonstration. Okay? <laughs> okay. So Keith and Kevin up here have chosen to help me out, and they're in the midst of a conversation over here doing some coarse joking, whatever you want to call it. They could be gossiping. They could be anything that really doesn't reflect God. Okay? And... Um, Dominic is going to come over here and, and uh, he is going to join in this conversation and he's going to bring his eyedropper over here. One over. Okay, show him your eyedropper. Nice and clear, all right. And he's going to squeeze his eyedropper into that thing. Stir it around, squeeze, stir, and then unsuck some of it back. Okay, and let, let everybody see that. It's kind of hard to see. No, squeeze it. That's it. Yep. So Dominic's going to join this conversation and instead of changing, show everybody the, the eyedropper. Instead of changing this uh, conversation of what's going on here, Dominic has taken on the taintedness of what's going on, and he's chosen to walk in this, and he's going to join the conversation and continue what is happening here. So Dominic, why don't you stand with them? Okay. Okay, and then John over here, he's going to come along too, and he sees the same conversation going on with the three of them. Okay, and he's going to squeeze his eyedropper in there. He's going to stir it around and stir... And stir, just keep stirring, okay? And then he's going to suck some of that up, okay? And you notice now, because Jonathan is going to come in, he's going to change the situation that's going on. He's going to talk to these guys, and he's going to say, look, guys, this isn't, this, this isn't honoring to God, okay? And so he's changed the situation. So the whole situation looks different now, doesn't it? Okay? And you know what? Jonathan, John even sucked up some of this stuff too, so he has changed as well because he's done this, because he's changed the situation. Okay? Thank you, gentlemen, very much. So why did I do this demonstration? Because we are God's instruments here on earth. Thank you again, gentlemen. We are the church, and we bring God's kingdom to whatever place we walk. It's our choice. Everywhere we go, we bring his kingdom. We can let it change every situation, or we can let it change us. That's the choice we have. You know, I have a couple of examples in my life. I remember one time walking into one of the Freudenberg plants where I work, and it was a different plant. And I walked in there, I was walking around, and I was seeing these girly pictures all over the place in the plant. And I was walking around with one of the managers to that plant, and I just spoke to him. I said, how can you do this? I mean, first of all, it's against our policy, but you know it's wrong. And he took that to heart. And I was actually there the next day, and all the pictures were gone. He told all those people to take them down. Okay? And I had a positive effect into that. Okay? And I'm not trying to toot my own horn here because I'm about to give you another story where I didn't. Okay? And... We can, walk, we can walk into every situation and do that, okay? Another one, we were having a conversation at work, and then I think uh, there's a, the rest of the people that were around were talking about, does God really care about what you wear? Okay, and I think they were talking about bikinis on the beach, whether bikinis were right or one pieces. I don't know what the, the whole conversation was. Um, but we were talking about that. And then they turned to me and asked me for my opinion, because some people respect my opinion anyway. <laughs> But they turned to me and said, what do you think? And I said, well, you know, what I know is that people like me shouldn't be wearing Speedos on the beach. 
you know. And although it was really humorous, I didn't, I didn't bring God in that situation at all. I had a perfect opportunity to bring God in that situation. I didn't. So we can do it both ways. We can, have, we can let it change us, or we can change the situation that's going on everywhere we walk. We hold the kingdom of God in our hearts. In James, the Bible says, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Don't let it spot you. Jesus knew what was in him was more powerful than anything that was going to come from that leper. That's why he wasn't worried a bit. He could reach down and touch that leper, and he wasn't worried a bit. Because he knew the kingdom was going to flow out of him, and the world was not going to flow into him. That's where he was. The Spirit of the, the Lord flows out of us to change this world. It can, it'll change because of us. Got a quick story for you, another example. One day a teacher was talking to her first grade class when a little, uh, about whales, excuse me, when a little girl had a question. She said, little girl, do whales swallow people? Okay. Teacher, no, even though they're much bigger than a person, they have throats that are with pleats that filter their food of krill and plankton. Okay. Little girl. But Mrs. Thurston, our other teacher, says that Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Teacher, getting a little angry, but whales cannot swallow people. Little girl. Well, when I get to heaven, I'll just ask Jonah if he was really swallowed by a whale. <laughs> Doesn't give up easily, does she? Teacher, still red with anger, says, well, what if Jonah's going to hell? And the, and the little girl says, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although we can ponder the point about whether that was kind or not, it does bring a point that that little girl brought the kingdom into that situation. There's a lot of little girls and boys in that class that are probably thinking about heaven or hell, where they weren't before. And maybe a teacher, for that matter. Um, in every situation, we are to bring restoration, healing, and the fruits of the Spirit. And I'll give you the fruits of the Spirit here. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, patience, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. They're never wrong. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit that, that, bring, that God, the Spirit brings forth out of us. We can influence others' lives with, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us and bring forth change in every situation in other people's lives. God's plan was always to do this. We can, God spoke of it in the Old Testament. I'll give you a scripture in Second Chronicles 7, 14, 15 says, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears will be attentive to every prayer made in this place. Jesus spoke of it too in the New Testament, and that's what we've been looking at. And finally, the early church did it and saw the fruits of it. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, it says, 
They devoted themselves, as the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to, excuse me, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were in favor with all people, they had loving each other. So summarizing, what is the church? It is a group of people for all time that are passionate for the king. Growing in purity and unity, bringing God's kingdom into every situation and place, affecting change in the favor of our king. We are the church. Be the true passionate, world-changing, situation-changing people that God calls his own.